I'm Paul Irwin and welcome to the Pros.com podcast, where we discuss everything translation and interpreting related, including how to get new clients, areas of specialization, technical skills, software localization, machine translation, diversification, and more. Pros.com, helping freelance translators and interpreters succeed. Hey there, Paul here, and welcome to episode 77 of the pros.com translation and interpreting podcast. Well, today it's going to be mostly about interpreting with a fantastic guest, Esther Hermida. So we're going to be talking about her interpreting work, simulcast interpreting, APTI, and also her very interesting work as a dialect coach with some very recognized actors. So that's coming up in just a second. First of all, I'd like to let you know that on the 30th of March, we have the first ever pros.com remote interpreting conference. That's our first ever conference completely dedicated to remote interpreting. It's completely free to attend and we'll have some amazing speakers and some some really good panels as well on that one. So that's the 30th of March. Find out more at pros.com slash tv that's pros.com slash tv also we have some very good workshops coming up shortly we have breaking into the book translation market with corinne mckay on the 23rd of february we have jorge diaz cintas with an introduction to audio visual translation on the 1st of march and we also have erin lyons with medical acronyms and abbreviations the medical translator's guide to Alphabet Soup. So those are a few of our upcoming live workshops. There's even more for you to check out on our website. That is training.pros.com. Okay, well, let's get started with our interview. Esther Hermida is a certified court interpreter in federal and California courts, a conference and simulcast interpreter, SAP en Español. She works as a dialect coach for the entertainment industry and manages her own boutique business, Geolingua Inc. She advocates for her profession and has been interviewed by the LA Times, Good Day LA TV, and Slater.com. She has been published in the Daily Journal, Legal Paper, and the ATA Spanish Division blog concerning a carve-out for TNI from CA's AB5. She is the co-founder and president of the American Alliance of Professional Translators and Interpreters, a newly formed association. Esther, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, great to have you here, Esther. I'm really looking forward to talking about interpreting, talking a little bit about some of your work as a dialect coach as well. So um, yeah, I've been really looking forward to this one. Thanks for agreeing to take part. First of all, first of all, let's uh, let's take a step back and, and please tell us a little bit about how you got started in the industry, Esther. Okay, well, I got started in the industry in the way many interpreters, you fall into it by chance. And I know that nowadays, a lot of people prepare to become certified interpreters and translators, they may get a degree. I didn't go that route. Um, It wasn't in the late 80s. Um, I was a young mom, and I didn't like my job. And I was looking for a job where I could spend more time with my kids. And so it just so happened that I was at a family gathering and uh, there was a family friend who was a court interpreter and that piqued my interest. I asked her how to go about Mm. it. 
and uh, she didn't give me a whole lot of information. So my uh, the way I got into this, remember, we're talking about pre-Google, uh, yellow, yeah, yellow yeah, pages, yeah. the white pages. So yeah. I went to the white pages, called every single courthouse to figure out how do I become a court interpreter. Finally, somebody told me to go to the Judicial Council. They sent me a packet. And I took the written test because at that point they had English test and um, Spanish test. It was like a filter, right? I failed. I failed okay. miserably. Yep. So I realized that I needed more training. And uh, I did a lot of self-studying myself with the SATs, GREs to bring my both my English and my Spanish level to an acceptable professional level so I can pass a written exam. I also uh, joined Cal State LA um, that had an extension program. And I attended that for a couple of years to actually train me as an interpreter, court interpreter. Okay. And and how did you get, tell us a little bit more about your, your background. How did you get uh, both languages and where are you from and where are you based? Yes, I'm, uh, I was born in Cuba and I came to the United States when I was 10 years old with my parents. Uh, I live in California. I live in California now, and I've been here since 1975, and um, that's how it is. My my Spanish education was quite limited, uh, but okay. I did yep. know how to read and write, and I was very proficient as a bilingual person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Okay, so then you started going through the... Uh, the, the sort of certification programs, is that, is that right? I did. Cal State LA had an extension program. It was really hard to find anything at that time. There were probably two universities offering extension programs uh, for interpreting training. And I did. I did, after going to the training, I passed the written exam and the oral exam after several tries anyway, but I, but I passed nonetheless in 1993. Um, it took me 10 years to pass the federal exam only because they gave the exam every two years. I wasn't ready. I was so tired of studying for the state exam. Sure. And yeah. I also yeah. realized that I needed a lot more experience. So I did fail the written exam a few times, maybe three times, but um, I passed the oral exam the first time. And that's a difficult and challenging exam. And now I'm one of 1,400 interpreters in the entire United States who is a federally certified interpreter and happy to wow. be wow. to do so. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So, so when you got the first the first certification, did uh, did you immediately start to get work? How did that? Oh, oh, yes, I did. Um, immediately, there's a great need in Los Angeles Superior Court for interpreters. And so as soon as I passed, I showed up to Los Angeles and they gave me work immediately as a contractor. So I was going there every single day working in criminal matters and um, a lot of um felony cases. So I got a lot of experience in trials immediately. And of course, it was a learning process because no matter how much training you get in school, you don't realize how real life interpreting really is. So yeah, it was course, very yeah, challenging, yeah. but it was a great training ground for me. 
Los Angeles Superior Court has cases. They were many times they had up to 50 interpreters in a courthouse. So there was a lot of work and a wow. lot of experience that yeah. I gathered. Yeah. yeah. And, and at this point, Esther, were you happy with your career decision? Had it, had it given you what you were looking for? To me, uh, becoming certified uh, as an interpreter validated the fact that I was prepared that I I was qualified to do my job and it was very gratifying. It uh, it actually increased my income, which was what I was looking for, mm -hmm. and it gave me the flexibility yeah. to accept assignments or reject them depending on where my kids were, if I needed to attend a school event or going on a trip with them. So I had flexibility and the income necessary to make a nice living. Okay, so you were you're very happy at that. I point. was, I yeah. was. Yeah, brilliant, yeah. brilliant, excellent. Okay, and how did your career develop over time? Tell us, uh, tell us what you what you learned along the way. Tell us if there were any 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 particular challenges or any particular changes that you that you went through. Um, and, and you're you're still doing this today, I, right? Is that is yes? That correct? Thirty years later, I'm yeah. still doing it. Yeah, wow. And that's quite a career, Esther. That's quite a that's very impressive um, mm -hmm. to be doing it all that yeah, time. And I'm yeah. still happy doing it. So that's that's very yeah, telling. Yeah. One of the things that I've learned about interpreting in court, in the court setting, is that I felt very comfortable interpreting in any setting. Because if you can interpret before a judge and jury, I felt confident enough to handle any other sort of interpreting. So... It just so happened that nine years in 1999, there was a turning point for me because um, a government meeting production company was looking for interpreters, a team of interpreters to do their uh, local televised government meetings. And I decided, hey, I can go there. I can try it out. Why not? And uh, apparently the producer was very unhappy with the two interpreters that he just recently got. And I went to interview. And that kind of opened a lot of doors for me because I started working doing the simulcast interpreting for the local government. Uh, it's called the Board of Supervisors in Los Angeles through that producer. And uh, I worked with it as a team. I was working from a studio and yeah. I still had um, that account. 23 years later, I'm still working wow. for the same producer. <laughs> and now yeah. there yeah. are two other counties added to the mix. And now I contract with interpreters to cover those meetings. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's brilliant. And what, what do you think, what what have been some some of the difficulties that you've faced as a as a court interpreter or, or, or a simulcast interpreter? What would you say? Well, the difficulties... Um, it's oh, it's a learning process. Once you think you know it, you know something, you realize that you don't. Hmm. Uh, terminology is a never-ending process where you have to learn. And the more di diversified you are as an interpreter, the better you are at handling those challenges. So for me, being in court all the time was not satisfying enough. I wanted to do more. And I realized... Um, that I needed to prepare myself. When I listened to myself over that, the very first 
simulcast I did, I was so embarrassed because I could hear the ums and the ahs and and that yeah, sounds yeah. horrible in a recording. So yeah. I've learned, and you probably hear me right now doing the same thing, but um, I've learned to just do pauses or stopping, keeping yep. my mouth quiet instead of hesitating. So that was a better delivery. I also learned to very similar to conference interpreting, you have to edit in your mind what you're going to deliver because the speed is so fast. You can't get it all at once. Unlike court interpreting, where you have to get every single word or nuance or repetition in simulcast, like conference uh, interpreting, you don't have sorry, to. Sorry, Esther, could I just, if I could just stop you there. So could you just give a definition or an explanation, brief explanation of simulcast interpreting? Yes. A simulcast is what you do for television or radio. Is In the United States, we use the SAP, secondary audio programming. So any Spanish speaker, in my case, and mostly in Spanish, they can turn on the SAP or the SAP audio so they can hear the transmission in Spanish in their yep. own language. Very yep. similar to what we do in conferences. You know, you select a channel. That is secondary audio programming, and that is uh, used for live events or recording events on television. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, and, and sorry, just going back to the court interpreting... Yes. So, so I mean, my experience is more with um, I've seen and and participated in and 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 worked um, with a company that does um, simultaneous interpreting, and I'm familiar with it in a conference setting, as I'm as I'm sure a lot of people are. Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with it in a in a court setting. So, where I mean, where does the interpreter? sit or stand and how does that can you just explain that dynamic in a court a little bit please absolutely interpreters are hired nowadays or contracted some are staff and others are contracted to interpret in proceedings where a defendant or a witness or a witness needs the services of uh, an interpreter that is by code we have a government code in california that was signed in 1978 to that every defendant has the right to hear the charges in their own language. So a court interpreter, it's present during every single proceeding held before the court. Uh, the defendant gets to have an interpreter in jail. But in the courtroom setting, let's say a trial, a defendant usually has uh, two interpreters sitting behind at the counsel table facing the judge. So the interpreters are sitting either behind the defendant. Now we use equipment, wireless headphones and, mm -hmm. um, and transmitters yep. and so forth. So you can sit uh, behind the defendant. The defendant is listening to everything that is happening from opening statements to testimony uh, through an interpreter. When a witness or the defendant goes to the witness stand, the interpreter stands next in some instances, at least in California. I can only yep. speak about California. The interpreter stands next to or sits next to the witness. 
okay. being questioned. Yep. Every single question, every single answer is going to be on the record. At this point, the interpreter is the the voice of that. Whatever the interpreter says on the record is the testimony. So if they are Spanish-speaking jurors and they hear the witness speaking in Spanish, they cannot consider that as evidence, but what comes out of the mouth of the interpreter, that's the evidence. So wow. it's extremely yeah. important to be accurate. Did you feel the pressure in in that sense of, of having to, you know, knowing how important it was or is? Is there is that that's always in the mind of the interpreter being as accurate and as clear as possible to convey the message that is being said. It, over time, it gets easier. And in fact, that's my mm -hmm. favorite thing to do is interpret for witnesses at the witness stand. And I do that in federal court quite a bit. So yeah. it's it's there's a lot more preparation you can you can uh, prep witnesses, you can talk to them, and so, and then you really need to know the case. But you never know what is going to come out of the witness's mouth. Unlike any other setting, the interpreter never knows what is being said. And there's always the stress that there's inevitably, there's going to be somebody in that courtroom who speaks Spanish. So you mm -hmm. better be yep. accurate. Because yep. your interpretation can be challenged. Even if you make a mistake, a juror has a right to send a note to the court and mention that the interpreter made a mistake, and then, then you have to have a whole proceeding yeah, to say yeah. and clarify that. But the interpreter's rendition is the record itself. Okay, okay. Excellent. No, really interesting. Really interesting, that is. So thank you. Thank you very much. So let's let's go back to the simulcast. So you you branched out into that. That's uh, that's obviously quite different. Tell me a little bit more about your work there, please. Yes. So as I was telling you, after working with the television programming for the government meetings, um, that one lady that went to the audition with me, I, she's somebody that I didn't know was extremely nervous for this audition. Years later, she recommended me to somebody. Uh, she did never got the job because she said, hey, I'm more of a translator than an interpreter. But she yeah. kept my business card. And this is where I go with networking is super important for mm -hmm. interpreters yep. as well. She recommended me to one of her clients who handled a lot of the simulcast. And this time it was to cover an award ceremony. I think it was the Latin Grammys for that yep. was yep. one of them for me. But that's how I got started. And then one thing led to another and another. And I ended up doing quite a number of um, award ceremonies for television. And some of that, um, it's exciting, very stressful. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Very, very stressful because no matter, you, if you make a mistake, you got to keep on going. There's no way that you can go back and correct the record. But the most, um, I think the most challenging thing for me was that one, uh, I think it was the second Latin Grammys that were being filmed uh, in the English network. 9-11 happened the same day that I was scheduled to interpret. And I was quite disappointed. I didn't know the magnitude of what had yeah. occurred and yeah. they canceled everything. But about 
three days later, I was in the studio because there was an emergency. Well, it was an event. It's called America Tribute to Heroes. Yeah, yeah. Where it was undisclosed location, every single U.S. network connected to that. And I was one of two interpreters providing the interpreting for that event. That was um, probably... one of the most uh, stressful nights of my life because it was it was very meaningful to being able to of provide course. the interpreting yeah. yeah yeah for that and then um i've done simulcast the one the most important one that happened to be east live entertainment on the red carpet so that i had to audition for that one uh with colleagues who I know pretty much we're a small group of interpreters that do this, yeah. but I yeah. went into NBC studios to audition and I ended up with the voice of Juliana Rensek uh, doing the red carpet interviews in Los Angeles. And that opened um, the possibility for me to join SAG-AFTRA, which I did okay. as, a voice, yeah. as a voice actor, even though I'm not a voice actor, okay? <laughs> I, I do simulcast, <laughs> but yeah, it does, yeah. uh, it help with the pay. The pay rate is much higher yeah. whenever they yeah. hire me. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliant. And, and, and those, yeah, I mean, just the stress of dealing with that kind of situation when you know you're like completely live. And, and like I said, you know, I mean, there is obviously that stress in any kind of live situation. Um, conference interpreting for example but when you know it's kind of being beamed around the world <laughs> that's a bit more it's a bit more pressure did you yeah. ha- did you have any mechanisms to deal with that or it was just you think it was just you know came with practice or how how did you deal with that kind of pressure Esther well the kind of pressure i thrive on that uh, yeah. and the stress i i it forces me to do better and I figure I'm going to, I may make a mistake, but I'm going to get through this. And I really enjoy doing it. I enjoy doing a lot more of that simulcast because I put all my energy into it. I don't know if you got a chance. I have some clips on my YouTube channel that shows uh, the whole team and the two got the guy and I, who are the main, uh, you know, characters, we're standing up. Because uh, we were there for maybe four hours on a two-hour show. And there's so much energy. And you want to imitate. We become very physical when interpreting. And a lot of people were like, why are you guys doing that? Because I'm living the moment. I am that person. I'm in character. And, And I really enjoy that. And so it does take a lot of energy. It's very stressful, but when I'm not even thinking of the stress at that moment, I I gotta think, I gotta come up with the term right now. And yeah, yeah. I I that's I enjoy that very much. Yeah. yeah. Excellent, excellent. All right. Well thanks, thanks for 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 sharing that. Absolutely fascinating. And um another thing that another part of your work that is also fascinating is is uh, as a dialect coach. So how did you get into that? Well, again, my network, and it's it's really nice to have a network of colleagues. Um, one of my colleagues uh, got a call from one agency uh, looking for a Cuban uh, Spanish dialect coach yeah. um, or 
And she referred me to that one agency and I didn't know who it was for. And then it was with Jennifer Gardner from Alias. That was my wow. first uh, uh -huh. job. Yeah. So, and I had to teach her Cuban Spanish and I was yeah. on the show and I got to meet her. And I was such a fan of that show, even before <laughs> actually going to meet her. And yeah. she was, yeah. it was a great experience. And from that, I decided to, hey, I really like this. And I got several shows. Um, my colleagues as well who work in the area in some like for instance the adam carolla build things show my colleagues invited me to come in and and work on that show um and how do you work how do you work with someone on on dialect how what sort of techniques do you use to to help people one of the things that I do, uh, I'm very transparent when somebody calls me to assist. And what is it that you need help with? They tell me, oh, well, you need to translate the script. You need to uh, just help the actors enunciate better, maybe add an accent yeah. and so yeah. forth. So I am not a trained dialect coach like those like linguists are, okay? But I have had so much experience dealing with Spanish speakers in California, especially the Mexican uh, Spanish, that I feel very competent. Um, I was married to a Mexican. I travel throughout Mexico quite a bit. So I yeah, feel very yeah. confident working in this. Not only that, but working in transcription translations as a trained interpreter, in court interpreter in particular, you have to know a lot about slang. You, yes. I mean, it's, you need yes. high register and low register. You need to understand <laughs> yeah. that. And yeah. so yeah. that's the whole uh, idea. Um, a lot of these meant for, let me see, Di, um, Jennifer Gardner. I actually worked with a Colombian actress, Paola Rey, on a commercial. So she had a... I was actually helping with her English and mm -hmm. trying to keep her Spanish quite neutral rather than a Colombian accent. Yeah, That's yeah, what I yeah. do. So I practice with them. Uh, my Spanish tends to be recognized as what? A neutral Spanish, not from a peninsular or somebody from Spain, but it sure, is pretty sure. neutral yeah. here in the yeah. United States. Yeah. But my point when I work with the producers and directors is that I help with the pronunciation and um, I, I do Zoom meetings, I listen to the Spanish rendition, and I correct it, and I give tips on how to pronounce and etc. The one I'm working on right now is the Mayans MC television show, and I did the fourth season and now I'm working with fifth season right now. And I do um, only Mexican accent with the actors. And it's really hard to come into a show that's been around for five seasons and try to work with the actors that have been around for a long time. They develop their own pattern. So I don't work so much on their accent. But what I do work on is uh, Mexican Spanish. So yeah. instead of, you know, I just adapted, like I just did one for uh, Chota, which means a cop or a policeman. And so instead of saying policia, 
uh, just say yeah. chota, you know, or something like that. Yeah. So uh, use profanity, Mexican, uh, you know, uh, profanity. I'm very good at that one. And <laughs> the actors, the actors love using yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I do. I, I I really work really hard. And if I yeah. do not get the accent, because there's different accents throughout Mexico, you know. Yeah, uh, of course, yeah. So I go on YouTube and I listen how, como hablan los de Michoacán, you know, type in Michoacán accent and record a few lines for the actors so they get the hang of it. And so I help them and actors are amazing. They pick up things very, very fast. Yeah, very, very nice. Very nice. Yeah, you have such a, um, a variety of work and it and it's in such a sort of exciting area as well that yeah well it's amazing so thank you thank you for sharing all of that Mm -hmm. esther i've got one final thing that i'd like to talk about and that's apti or double a pti would you tell us about that please yes apti came about this is my serious side of my profession (laughs) apti came about after california uh had this law that passed ab5 that actually was targeting uh, misclassified workers. Mm-hmm. And then yep. it was like this net that was cast and it covered everyone who is actually a freelancer. And we were going to be impacted by that because we work with different agencies, we have our own clients, etc. And that meant that this new law that we are supposed to be employees of every single agency that hired us or contracted with us. So we fought that law. Uh, We were very, very active interpreters. Uh, Other states' uh, interpreters uh, helped us financially and so forth. So as individuals, we were able to get an exemption, and that was reflected in AB 2257, which allowed gave a full exemption to translators and a partial exemption to interpreters. We realized that we were unrepresented, even though we had national associations that represent interpreters and translators, they did not get involved with legislation. It mm-hmm. was beyond yep. their reach, and they didn't know what to do. So there's this group in California who hired a lobbyist. They got money. So they hired, uh, there were several groups that were working on this. Uh, I was very much into social media, getting people, creating awareness, visiting my legislator, uh, visiting and begging and writing. And I went on Twitter and I got everyone involved in that one. But there were other people working in the background doing this as well. After that happened, we realized we needed to create, we got a meeting with the major stakeholders and they say, we need an association just for lobbying, for um, to work with policy consultants. So this will never happen again. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it was pretty, they had the, um, the PRO Act at the federal level. So right now we are working and that is a membership association like everything else, but we're an alliance, so we're not competing with other associations, but we're working with them. Our latest endeavor, and after we realized that the reason we were targeted is because we don't have any power in Sacramento, we don't have anybody to advocate for us. Now, mind you, 
when we're talking, I'm talking about the translators and interpreters profession. I'm not even talking about the language service companies. They have their yeah. own. Yeah. They they have their own interests. But who represents our own interest, industry as translators? There's nobody out there. So our aim is to change that. Our aim is to know is like, look, um, Mr. Legislator, I understand that you have uh, the needs for language access and that you need to protect the public. How are you protecting the public? Well, California started out by having a law to have certified court interpreters in court, right? The medical profession associations actually certified interpreters in the medical profession. So we need to actually be more, more proactive in making sure that we are the experts in the field of language access, that they come to us to consult with us, but also to regulate. Excellent. Yeah. To oh, regulate. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. No, excellent. Excellent, Esther. Excellent. No. Yeah. Well, you're doing a lot of, a lot of, uh, different things as, as i've said uh, obviously the work that you're doing with apti very very important as well so thank you for sharing that and uh thank you for coming on to this podcast it's just been a wonderful conversation i've really enjoyed it i'm sure people have learned a lot and i'll just leave you with the last word and if you'd like to share your details if people like to to get involved in any of those topics that you've talked about today please Yes, uh, you can reach me at uh, my website is estherenmida.com or certifiedspanishinterpreter.com or you can go to apticonnect.org to learn more about Apti. And I'm all over social media. I have uh, two Facebook groups that I manage and I'm very active in more Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. And you can find me under, you can find me Google Esther Admida and you find me everywhere. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, Esther. Well, thank you. Thank you once again. Thank you so much and uh, all the very best. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Great stuff from Esther there. I hope you enjoyed that one. I hope you found it useful. I hope you can take something, some little nugget of inspiration to apply straight away in your own translation or interpreting business. So a big thank you to Esther Hermida. Don't forget to check out training.pros.com for our courses and workshops. And don't forget to tune in on the 30th of March for the first ever pros.com conference on remote interpreting. You can check that out at pros.com slash TV. Thanks for tuning in. All the very best. And until next time, bye-bye.